The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Imagine growing up around civil engineering. Your father was an immigrant. He came to the United States and he built a company and you saw it being built. And then over time, you became a civil engineer and you worked with your father. And then one day you lost your father and you had to take over the company, of course, while dealing with the grief of losing a parent. Well, in today's episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I have with me Mark Sandu, president of ARS Engineers. And that was his story. So in this episode, Mark talks to us a lot about his father, the legacy he left, but we also get into everything going on right now in the world of civil engineering. And he gives some great advice for taking on leadership roles in companies, whether you were ready to do it or not. And he really took some time to talk about these things in detail, which we really appreciated. Before we jump in with Mark, I do want to take a minute to recognize our sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees and 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome on our guest for today's episode, Mark Sandu, president of ARS Engineers. Mark, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate the opportunity. Really excited. No, definitely excited to talk to you. So, Mark, to get us going here, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up in your current position at ARS. I've been kind of in the industry for a long time. Some might say even as a baby, because my dad is uh, was the owner of this company. He was the founder of the company 37 years ago. He started it. And uh, I'm an only child. As a kid, I have so many memories of going to ASCE and TSPE and TSPS and ACEC and many other conferences when he was doing kind of his stint as president of the Dallas branch of all those different chapters and societies. So I've been around the civil engineering industry for a long time and did internships here all through high school and winter break and things like that. Nothing fancy. I was taking out the trash and answering the phone and helping people write proposals and things like that. I wasn't doing any design work, but I, through that experience, I really learned a lot about soft skills, about how projects are run, just hearing other people talk about it, project managers and stuff about how surveying is done, a lot of different things. So I went to Texas A&M University, graduated in December of 2008, and that was right in the middle of a gigantic market crash. I honestly didn't have the intention to start right back at ARS or start my full-time career here at ARS after I graduated, 
but just because most people weren't hiring, I had a few other offers outside of Dallas, but it just made the most sense to come back here, start my full-time career here, pay off a lot of debt and kind of go from there. So I've served, I started off as a graduate engineer and did nothing but roadway design for many years as an EIT and then became a PE. And throughout that time, really that first few years and even before that, I started to realize that I'm a competent engineer, technical expertise is extremely important. I need to hone those skills, but I started honing proposal and business development skills. I found that's where my niche was, where I could really excel. And so keeping the technical skills up, but then starting to think about clients and what markets we're focused on and which municipalities we should work with and how to write a successful proposal, that was all kind of happening at the same time. So I became a project manager and then vice president and director of engineering and business development. Those are out of order, but just served in different roles. When my dad had pneumonia in 2019 and was completely taken out of work here for many months, that's when I kind of became acting president. It was out of necessity, really. And uh, unfortunately, he just passed away on uh, December 31st of 2021. So it's very fresh but I was given the, the keys to the company, passed the torch officially in July of last year. I'm blessed with the timing of how all that happened and how everything was already officially given over to me, but we just lost him and uh, just trying to figure out how to move on without him. But he left an amazing legacy and left all the keys to be able to do that. Certainly sorry to hear about your father, but it sounds like he's an amazing man. And I want to talk a little bit more about him here as, as we dive into this for sure. A couple of things, just kind of reflecting on what you said. I think one thing, it must have been great to have your father leading by example for you, really your whole mm-hmm. life in terms of what, you know, not that you had a, maybe a lot of options on what to do and what major, <laughs> what major you were going to select, but I, obviously when you're around it, I would imagine it's easy to see the different components of civil engineering. Because civil engineering, as you know, is a broad ranging industry. There's a lot of different ways you can go, even in the civil engineering world. And I think being able to see a company kind of run from the inside can give you insights to all of the opportunities in the world of civil engineering that any high school student may not understand other than, hey, I like math, I like science, I like kind of being outdoors and bridges and those types of things. I'm going to go into civil engineering. Would you say that you had like a lot more insight? I would say it's accurate. And I'm trying to help curb this problem in different ways, but it's accurate to say that many high school students know that it involves math and science, but don't know about the breadth of different areas within civil engineering and exactly what a civil engineer does. And so through some stuff I'm doing with TSPE, and I know ASCE does a lot too, trying to help with education for the next generation. But for me, yes, because of my extremely unique opportunity to be around a civil engineering companies and be at company parties and intern here, I think I had a better idea of the different branches within the civil engineering tree and which one I wanted to kind of go for. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about the history of the firm and really your father and his story and how he built the firm. Tell us a little bit more about that. I know he went through some tough times with it, but take us through Mm -hmm. that because I think that's really interesting. I'm first generation born in the greatest state in America of Texas, uh, born in Dallas. My parents were both born in Pakistan. So 
my dad's story is that he got a math and physics degree in Pakistan and then got into the construction industry and started doing some design work. And there was a hospital in Lahore in Pakistan that he helped design and he met a US-based engineer through that project. And that engineer helped sponsor him and bring him over here. And he became a civil engineering student at Southern Methodist University, SMU here. Then he graduated in 1972 with a bachelor's of science in civil engineering and started at a firm now called RLG. At the time, it was called Raymond L. Goodson Engineers. Within 15 years, he had moved up to associate or partner or whatever the term was. He took the greatest entrepreneurial risk he could at that time with two business partners, the late Fritz Beck and Andy Martin, and they broke off and started a, a couple of companies, actually. Beck, Sandu, and Martin was one of them, and ARS Engineers was another, and they helped fund each other and looked out for each other. And he kind of, with a couple of his friends, took a giant risk, and it worked out very well. It's not every small business that succeeds, you know? And I feel like he really lived out the American dream by taking that risk. So he started off the company back in 1984 for a very short stint. It was private development focused. And then it's been government work, municipal work, work for TxDOT, federal work, but government-based roadway design, civil engineering, land surveying, and utilities. Those are our three focus areas. His story is unique, to say the least, and he left a great example of how to kind of chase the American dream. Yeah, it sounds like he did. How big is ARS, just so our listeners know right now? We're uh, the giant number of 35 people. We're definitely in small business territory, and we've been between 30 and 35 people for the last 15 years. There was a time in the 90s when I think it got closer to 50. We had offices in different places, but we've stayed right there around 30 ever since. I mean, I know personally how difficult it is to build a small business from number one, working with some of our engineering clients, helping them grow, and also just from building the Engineering Management Institute. English is my first language. You know, I was born here. Your father obviously wasn't. So he had that mm-hmm. that he had to deal with. And then the challenges of starting a business and the risks involved. I think it's safe to say that he's likely a very special person to be able to overcome all those challenges and build what he built today. What was it about him that helped him to be able to accomplish this, which was a very difficult goal? After his passing, I've had so many people reach out and kind of talk about what that was about him. He would never give up. He would try so hard to get in with the particular clients that he deemed would be good for the company's future but never in a demanding way. He was the guy who was always smiling in any room he went into. He could talk to a brick wall, just very personable. And I think his determination to focus on something and get in in a particular market segment, like way back in the 90s with the city of Dallas, for instance, he was just really kind and really persistent. (laughs) I think those two things were true about him. I really wish, obviously, he could be sitting next to you doing this interview, as I'm sure you sure. do, but you know, that's what life is. And it seems like you were prepared, certainly, to take this on. I'm sure largely in part because of him and him you know, helping you, oh, yeah. you over the years, for sure, and preparing you for um, that. And as a teenager, 
I may have had a different opinion about this whole like civil engineering is great, you know, that was thrust upon me, but it was never forcefully. I failed to mention before that when I went to AM, I started there thinking, I like math and science. Let's start off in civil engineering and see if I like it. I did. It wasn't because some hand was being forced upon me to have to do that career path. I just ended up really liking it. I would think it's safe to say that any civil engineering professional in Texas today is in pretty good shape in terms of you know their career prospects going forward in terms of the amount of work in Texas. And now we've got the infrastructure funding and, and coming. So it is certainly an exciting time. And you know, your father obviously left a legacy and he was a sounds like an amazing person. Where do you go from here? You know, what are some of the things that you do to try to continue that legacy? I know it's big shoes to fill. Put very simply, something I'm trying to focus on is just to keep smiling. That's kind of been my thing. They, like I said before, he would be smiling in any room he went into. And even in pretty tough financial times, he seemed to find a way to do that. In a more specific sense to the business, it's just always taking care of our employees. No matter how much we grow, making the small business feel and the company culture here stick and making people feel like they're valued inside the company and outside the company. That goes to our clients, that goes to the residents who are driving on these roads or using these utilities, just making sure that we're thinking about the big picture and taking care of people and not just solely focusing on formulas. Formulas are very important to make sure that design is sound and that we're taking care of the health, uh, welfare, and safety of the public. But it's just that, it's the public, it's focusing on people. I give you a lot of credit. I mean, you seem like a very personable, happy person right now. On the outside, I'm sure that there's pain that you're dealing with. You have a lot of responsibility in running your business and making sure that the people that work there can support their families. And it it seems like you're doing a commendable job with it. So I would just say, I know it's hard, but it's like you're doing great work right now. So keep going. Thank you. I'm sure you're grateful for that talk a little bit more on the business side of things, Mark. Let's talk about small minority business ownership and kind of the role that it plays in state and federal civil engineering work. I mean, I know we have listeners all over the country here in Texas, so we might talk a little bit Texas, but also just in general, talk to us about how that works. So here in Texas, and we're now expanding to Colorado as well, but for 37 years, it's been Texas only. In this market, there is the NCTRCA here in North Texas. I believe that's the North Central Texas Regional Certification Authority. Apologies if I got it wrong, but it's something like that. We went to to get our MBE, DBE, and SBE, Minority Business Enterprise, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise, and Small Business Enterprise certifications. And then separately from that, we have the Texas Hub Historically Underutilized Business Certification. That's a lot of letters. I had a client one time tell me, you know, I was trying to get into the specifics of what was required for the particular job. And they were like, you guys have some of that alphabet soup, right? You guys are an alphabet soup company. Like, yeah, we have the alphabet soup or at least some of them. So the differences between them, I will not claim to be an expert on how and when and where each one applies. But I'll say, I know that it is based on federal funding or non-federal funding. It's based on the particular municipality's needs and kind of what they follow. And the percentages of a required amount of that type of firm doing work on a government job changes from job to job and from type to type. 
I've seen it range from prime text dot project needing 11% DBE up to a 23.7% hub or a 25.66% MBE, or even on an aviation job, I saw it was like a 35 or 40% goal. It's just that it's a goal. It's an attempt for the prime to make a good faith effort to give a certain amount of work to small or disadvantaged or minority business or woman-owned business enterprise or veteran-owned business enterprise, depending on the type of work in the client. And for those of you out there that are listening that are less experienced, and you know, there's some of these things you're hearing for the first time, if you decide maybe to go into business one day and you open up a very small firm, the advantages of having some of these certifications to Mark's point, is that larger companies may go out and get a big project and they will have to find subcontractors that fit these requirements for X percent of the project. So there are plenty of companies that spend their lifetime as subs, right, to these larger companies because they have these certifications. And I think it's great because, you know, if you are starting off, if you happen to fall into one of those categories, you should definitely leverage it and you can help that to grow your business and then build a business, build a legacy, support a lot of people, your employees. And so you have to be aware of them. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have Mark come on and talk a little bit about that. When this happens in your example, let's say at ARS, is that typically how it works? Like a lot of larger companies or larger projects might reach out to your firm, Mark, and say, hey, we want you to do this part of the project. Talk to us a little bit about how that process works on a project. There's a definite marketing aspect to it. Every small business owner in this industry who's watching this would know and affirm that just because you're one of the alphabet soup letters doesn't mean a ton because there are a lot of extremely qualified, small minority, et cetera, businesses around. And it matters that you do good work. Like I said, there's a marketing aspect. There's a connecting with primes, the larger firms who are going after certain pursuits. A good thing to do is show up to a pre-proposal meeting, even if you're not going to be able to chase it as prime, but you know a prime may need to reach out for another firm to be on their team. That's a great way to do it. And developing business relationships with prime firms who will keep going back to you when they need something else. One of our soft goals over the years has been to just become the preferred sub-consultant for different clients from the prime firms that we enjoy working with. As far as our market share, that was most of it. It was sub-consultant work for most of our revenue for years and years and years and years. We made a concerted effort in 2015, 2016 timeframe to try to graduate, so to speak, into really pushing to get a prime contract. The first one happened, we did a good job and the ball kept rolling in a positive direction. And I'm blessed to say we have, I think it's five open prime text dot indefinite delivery contracts, which is just crazy for a firm our size. And let me just say this, came after a whole lot of losses in a row. <laughs> let me be humble and say that. Years and years of lose, 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 lose is prime, but then the cards kind of fall in the right place. Even though we are an MBE, DBE, SBE hub firm, on certain contracts, it doesn't matter. We still have to find another MBE, DBE, SBE hub firm to subcontract to us. It all depends, different rules for different things, whether you can self-perform or not. But we're able to kind of give back in a way, and it feels really good to be able to do that. Finding primes who are chasing work in areas that you're competent in. It's getting in front of them and letting them know that you can sub-consult to them. 
And just to follow up on that, like from a logistical standpoint, it is possible for you to be on multiple project teams on one proposal, correct? Yes, with the somewhat rare exception where a prime may ask you to go exclusively with them, which gives benefit to both parties. If you think they're going to win and if they think that you are a giant benefit to the team and they'll only get it on this one team. That happens a lot more on the bigger design build pursuits, the in the billions total cost of project stuff, more so than the regular design bid build format stuff. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you just a couple of more kind of technical questions here on this topic. So what is the MBE, DBE, SBE certification and how does it differ from the Texas hub certification for our listeners in Texas? I am no expert in the particular differences between them. I did a little bit of research as to who uses which one and that kind of thing. And I would say that a lot of the state-funded text.work work that we chase has a hub requirement. And a lot of the federally funded text.work work that we chase has a DBE requirement. It's all based on funding. As far as getting those certifications, I'm blessed to have come into a company that had all of them for a long time before I came here. But talking to other firms, I know that it takes a lot of paperwork, a lot of financial review, and it can be a long process to get these certifications. And it's based on ownership percentage and then other things, total revenue for the year. You can graduate out of these if you become a very large company. The personal net worth of the owner, that's another item that affects whether or not you can be one or the other. And it's really different per type. I found a couple of good websites that I could send you that kind of summarize them that might be beneficial to the watchers here. That's excellent. Yeah, we can put them in the description in the show notes for sure. We can share them. The last technical question I'll ask you on this topic, Mark, is about an 8A certification for federal work. What does it mean to be 8A certified or what are some of the benefits of that certification? Can you share any info on that? That's a program that you enter and graduate out of, I believe it's nine years later. And that was at a time when we were really attempting to chase more and more federal work, specifically through the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Once again, a game of a lot of paperwork and a lot of forms. And then you get into the program and it gives you the benefit of getting relationships and review from the core and teaming opportunities for small business set-asides that the core puts out. That would be generally what the benefit is that when you say you're an 8A firm. And a lot of the primes who are chasing core work will ask that question, are you an 8A firm? I need to say something honestly about it. Yes, so we got into it, did get a few jobs out of it, and then graduated. And I think if we had made a more concerted effort to really hone in on that market, to really get to know the local district better and that kind of stuff, we probably could have had even more success from that program, but we kind of got in it, got some work, and then graduated out of it. There's another similar program in the sense that it's a mentor-protege program from the NTTA here local in the Dallas area, the North Texas Tollway Authority. They have a diversity program called the ROAD program. And for that one, they assign you mentor when you're a small firm. So we were mentored by AECOM and it was wonderful. This was back in 2014. It was a couple of years long. And there was kind of a set program where they helped us with business practices and how we handle certain things. So I feel like we got a lot of benefit out of that one. We could have done better with our time at 8A, if I'm being completely honest. 
And eight A is that a federal? So that's across yes. all fifty states. I don't think that's a Texas only thing. I, I believe it is across okay. all. We'll states. put some links and information cool. for your, our listeners to read through if you're interested in that. And the other thing I'll mention on the mentoring side of it that Mark just referred to is that I know is also available in a lot of states. I recently interviewed a couple of uh, civil engineering business owners up in Alaska, and they went through a similar type of mentoring program through one of the organizations there, whether it was the DOT, I can't remember which one, where they were paired up with a larger firm and that larger firm kind of mentored them and helped them along. So if you are a small business owner, a small business company, and you're looking to learn about some of these different certifications, some of these programs, there are mentoring programs out there where you can receive mentoring from a, a larger company that's experienced with these items. So definitely look for that and take advantage of that. So Mark, in the world of civil engineering, we know that things can and will typically go wrong on projects, whether it's because of a poor choice, uh, mismatch expectations, or any number of other obstacles. Just interested in hearing from you in terms of how you've learned to deal with problems on your projects, problems with clients, you know, going through processes. Talk to us about how you deal with things like that. Definitely have run into problems on projects kind of through the whole gamut. It's important to just be honest with the client. I see that some clients can see straight through the promise of everything will be always perfect with no mistakes, no QAQC needed, and we'll turn it in six months early. It's not happening. And people try to sell those kind of things quite a lot. The real truth is you got to have a QAQC process in-house and a schedule that's adhered to and good management, but sometimes unexpected things go wrong. It has happened to us many times. I kind of learned the hard way and have learned from it and never made the mistake again of what I learned was got to be on top of communication with the client if there's a potential schedule change because of X, Y, or Z, because of a new unexpected government entity roadblock or because of a staffing change or no matter what the particular issue is, if you can get out in front of it and be honest about where things are and commit to perhaps the same final deadline, but maybe something else needs to just shift a hair and commit to adding more resources and stuff like that. It's surprises to a client that really sting the most, usually. We're in no surprises place now, but many, many, many years ago, there was a, a couple of things that happened and we learned from it. And so I just think managing staff expectation and schedules internally, and if there's an unexpected roadblock, getting in front of the client and letting them know and working with them on a resolution on how to make it better for all parties. I know from my own experience as a civil engineer, sometimes in those conversations in the moment, the client may be upset with you, of course, because something's taking longer than they want it to. But I think over the long term of the relationship, they appreciate the honesty. And really yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, that's what they want, right? This is their bottom line. This is their money. This is their projects. They want to have someone that can honestly say to them, hey, listen, if you want us to do it the right way, it's going to take two weeks, not a week or three weeks or three months, not two months. And at the end of the day, I think the good clients appreciate that and understand that. And they want to work with an engineer who's going to tell them like it is at the end of the day. That's right. Not easy to do, understandable, <laughs> especially when you're younger in your career and you're dealing with, you know, intimidation of a larger client or, you know, in the long run, you'll build the right relationships if you take that approach, I believe. Yep. And building trust with the client for sure. So Mark, all the stuff we're talking about, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in civil engineering, a lot going on in Texas. This infrastructure money's coming. How in the world do you have some downtime, have any kind of balance in your life when you're running a company in an industry that's as busy and frenetic as it is right now? 
poorly, but getting better. (laughs) Yeah, the work-life balance idea, the downtime. For years and years and years and years, I worked and worked and worked and worked with very little downtime, no real vacations for a long time. I would say about a year, year and a half ago, came to the realization of how much burnout that was causing for me. And also, of course, of affecting my family. I have little kids of five-year-old and a seven-year-old, an amazing wife, and like just how it was affecting everything, just kind of level of burnout. And so I think just making sure to take a real vacation as often as you can, even if it's just once a year. Took one last year and it was wonderful. That the week off I came back so recharged. That's one thing. And then, but of course, that's not everything. Trying to find better boundaries to keep work at work and home at home and focus on my kids and focus on my family. Like I admitted at the beginning of this answer, working on it. But I could say I had a great example. My dad, now I'm learning how many incredible financial hardships he had to go through and personally loan money into the company just to keep payroll going and stuff like that. I never knew any of that stuff. He never missed a soccer game, basketball game, baseball game, piano recital. I mean, he was there at home. And I would say that's what I'm trying to do better at. Keep work at work, do a good job at work. Of course, as a business owner, you can never really turn it off. I get that. And I would encourage any potential small business owner, someone who's thinking of starting a company, you got to learn that. But also you just hire staff who can handle things in your absence and only really get you if there's an emergency and silo that time and spend time with your family accordingly. It's impressive to hear that your father did all that or had those hardships without you knowing about it and was Mm -hmm. always available to you in your life. So that's great. And obviously, again, he's been a great example for you, it sounds like, in everything that he did, which is awesome. Before we wrap up this segment, one last thing I wanted to ask you about is any final advice for our listeners who might be considering starting their own civil engineering company? I know we've talked a lot about stuff already, but any last things that pop out that you might want to share? First of all, don't give up. Hearing about my dad's experience and also seeing other people start their own firm, there's a lot you got to put in on the front end and a lot of risk. I've seen things go well and I've seen things be very tough for people. So I would say don't give up through the process and also just realize the risk involved. There's certainly a lot of risk, but there can be an unbelievable amount of reward. You know, I think about the generational legacy that my dad is, has given our family by starting this company. He didn't know whether I would turn out to be a civil engineer, but there was an opportunity of a medium for generational legacy, which is so cool for me and also for all of our employees. We've had employees who've been here for over 20 years, one of them. You know, it's like just thinking through the opportunities to be able to give to employees and and to the community is remembering that at the end of the hardship is the advice I'd give to someone starting a company. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to put Mark on the civil engineering hot seat and wrap things up. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. We are back with Mark Sandu, president of ARS Engineers in Dallas, Texas. Now we're going to put Mark on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready, Mark? I'm ready. Do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine? Just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? One I'm doing and one I'm striving to do better. The one I'm doing is it's not necessarily just at lunchtime, just getting outside, 
getting outside the walls of this office when I'm in the office or getting outside home when I'm working from home and putting a little movement in and thinking through the things that I need to ponder and get back to, but making sure to be physically away from it just for five minutes is unbelievably helpful to my mental health. And I'm better for the rest of the day when after that happens. It's nothing fancy. I don't have a particular mantra. I'm just walking and thinking. The thing I'm trying to do better is starting my day off with prayer and in the Bible. I That happens maybe later in the day, usually for me, but I'm jumping right into Outlook and what fire happened overnight and just starting my day that way. And I think it could be better if I kind of did the first thing a, a different way every day. What is one book you might recommend to engineers or just of any book that you found to be extremely helpful in your personal and professional development? I know there's tons of books out there, but sometimes there's one that sticks for us. It's funny you asked that. We were just talking about a helpful book yesterday, came up in conversation. So I was in the Texas Society of Professional Engineers PLE class last year, the Professional Engineers Leadership Institute. And we had to read a lot of books for that. And there was a lot of good ones. But the one that really stuck with me was Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. There was a lot of really good information in all the other books. But let me ask you, Anthony, have you read that book before or heard about it? You know, I haven't read that book, but his name has now come up, I want to say, yeah. on probably three of the last five of these episodes. So I think I'm yeah. going to be picking up the book. This is a really good one. It's a fable is how it's described. It's a fictional account instead of just, here's how to handle the five dysfunctions of a team. It's a story, a firm with new leadership that goes on an offsite retreat and a lot of things go wrong and a lot of personnel dynamic stuff happens. And then there's kind of discussion of how to handle those things in a real situation. It makes it very entertaining, actually, and keeps your attention. So I would definitely recommend that one. Mark, thinking back on your managers of the past, and you don't have to name names specifically, but when you think of some of your favorite managers that you've had, what made them your favorite? We're trying to understand you know, some of those key traits and characteristics of successful managers in the world of civil engineering. One thing, not being afraid to call me out when there's a mistake. So I'm thinking early career, just not being afraid to say, oh, that's nice that you spent an hour on the quantities for this particular portion of this roadway, but that's not how we do it. You know, like not being rude, but just being honest. That's very helpful. It's something I perhaps struggle with as a manager on just being facts or facts, but being counseled as a young engineer, that was really helpful to hear from somebody else. So then also character trait of a good manager, being willing to stand up for your staff. If a client is calling a staff member out by name and might maybe out of line, or if something's happening internally in the company and you know that it's not deserved, just being willing to stand up for those people goes a long way with employees. I've got one final question for you, Mark. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineering professional, you know, let's say earlier in their career and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, what career advice would you give them in that short period of time? I would say to a young engineer, whatever task your company is giving you, learn it and do it well do it very well. But be sure over your first few years to hone in on what areas of design you like or what areas of analysis you like so that you can kind of help guide and direct what you want the future of your career to look like. And if it's not culverts, but you spent four years designing culverts that you would kind of know where you need to pivot to. 
Mark Sandu, president of ARS Engineers. I want to thank you for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for talking to us about your father, his legacy, the firm, and, and your career. We really do appreciate the time, Mark. Thank you, Anthony. It was an honor. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Sandu. Again, I really appreciate Mark coming on so close to his father passing and kind of taking us through his career journey, which is really interesting for sure. We will put the show notes for this episode, like all episodes, at civilengineeringpodcast.com. You can look for episode number 198 there, and you'll find a summary of the key points that we discussed in today's episode, links to some of the different programs and certifications that Mark talked about, and books that he might have mentioned, and anything else that we talked about in the episode. You can find it all there at civilengineeringpodcast.com. And I will mention again, if you're interested in our people leadership training, our project management training, or our seller doer or business development training courses for your professionals, simply visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, click the upcoming training button at the top of the website, or give us a call, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.